Father, thank you for our time this morning now as we will open your word together. And I am thankful that um, no image that we would create, whether we make it out of stone or wood or through technology, is true. Thank you for the warnings in Scripture in the New Testament to guard ourselves from idols, whichever kind, whether they're the kinds we produce or the kinds we invent in our own minds. And help us even as a church to to prefer simplicity because you've given us your profound and amazing and yet simple word and you've given us your powerful spirit and you've given us the body of Christ and you have given us a yearning and a longing, a waiting, an expectation to not see an idol, to not see a representation that we've created according to our own imaginations, but to actually see you in your fullness. And we know that one day we'll be ready for that and it will be a great and glorious day because we're in Christ. Give us that longing and give us that waiting and expectation and give us joy in the expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to open your Bibles to, uh, excuse me, not to Luke this morning, but to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, and also Romans chapter 1. We're going to be in those two big books this morning, 1 Corinthians 1 and Romans 1. And this morning we're going to talk about our mission as a church. What are we here to do? What is our aim? What is our purpose? What is our calling? Uh, what is priority number one for us as a church? If you come to the newcomers class, I apologize because we talk about this in there all the time. And in one sense, I could apologize to everyone because in a certain sense, we talk about this all the time. We talk about this all the time. But at the same time, we're, we're constantly being tempted from here and from there. And we're constantly being bombarded and, and hearing this wooing to move away from what our calling actually is. And so I like to talk about this now and then with different texts of Scripture. Uh, according to one best-selling author, the way we can figure out God's mission for us is to be like surfers and to look for the next big wave that God is sending our way. And if we can watch out for that next big wave, we'll be ready for our mission. What's so intriguing about that is what ends up being the case is whatever is faddish, hip, and trendy in the outside watching world ends up being what those waves are all about. Others would say that the church's mission and what we're supposed to do and what we're called to do is meet whatever needs are around us. So if the need is a need for improved morality, then the church's mission is a morality mission. If it's a societal issue in culture, then that's our mission. If it's a political issue and the need is there, then that's our mission. And we hear that a lot. It's refreshing that from another corner we hear people say the church's mission needs to be historic. And what we need to do is get back to history and to have a historic identity and a historic mission. And I certainly welcome that in light of all the fads. But at the same time, sometimes trying to be historic and old becomes faddish. 
And it becomes the in thing to do. And then we get involved in what's historic and old, but it's not necessarily distinctly Christian. And that happens. It happens a fair amount. It's certainly happening around us. We'll be cool and we'll be in when it comes to our new mission because it's old and old is cool and old is in. That happens sometimes. And while there's a place and certainly a priority to be moved and led by the Spirit of God, absolutely, the Spirit of God is not going to lead us on a new wave that isn't already explicitly spelled out in Scripture or better yet, in contradiction to what Scripture calls us to be and do. And while certainly we as individuals are called, as we're called to love our neighbors, we want to be open to meeting needs all around us and should be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the calling of the church. And at the same time, we want to be historic. We don't want to just be trendy. We want to be tied to the faith that's once and for all been delivered to the saints so we have a tie backward. But we want to be tied to the right history. Historic in the right sense, not just the trendy sense. And where that brings us is, that brings us to having a mission, a calling, a priority that is first and foremost about the proclamation of the gospel. That is our mission. That is our great commission. That is what we're called to be. That is what we're called to do. It should be the heartbeat of Omaha Bible Church. And while I'm tempted and you're tempted with fattyanity over here, like that word, trendyanity over here, another word I like, and we really are tempted, we've got to keep coming back to what are we about? What has the Lord Jesus Christ called us to? And this morning what I'd like to do is look at the Apostle Paul. He's an Apostle of Christ. That means he's an authoritative representative. And to look at his example. His example shows us loud and clear that priority number one is the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what we do. It is who we are. It's what we're about no matter what. It's what we're about and who we are. In 1 Corinthians we see this. In Romans we see this. I like both books uh, for multiple reasons. But 1 Corinthians starts with a gospel priority and ends with a gospel priority. Romans starts with a gospel priority and ends with a gospel priority. And everything in between is a gospel priority. And I, say, I would guess that we could look at other books and find the same things. But we're going to limit our scope to these. That, that the gospel for salvation, that the gospel for spiritual growth, and the gospel for worship is where our focus is. And I can't wait to do this. And if maybe this is just for me. Because maybe you guys are all light years ahead of me and you're never tempted to compromise. You're never tempted to, be, uh, to, to try to be relevant by doing something else. You're never tempted. I am all the time. And I know you probably are as well. We hear that, that like a siren song, wooing us, calling us. And the Lord Jesus Christ, through his apostle and his example today, I hope is going to say, don't go there. Your priority is too big. First Corinthians 1 verse 
Chapter 2, verse 2 is a, is a very, very central text when it comes to this. If we had one verse to look at, it would be this. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, the Apostle Paul writes, For I decided, I, I determined, as some of your translations say, I really like the synonym, I resolved, that is, I made my mind up ahead of time before anything else happened. I knew this is what I was going to do. Before I was tempted, before I was wooed, before I might be persuaded otherwise, I decided, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I love, 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 love the simplicity and I want you to love, 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 love the simplicity too. Were there other needs in the city of Corinth? Of course there were. Were there real needs? Of course there were. But what does Paul do? He makes up his mind before he ever is even going to be tempted and he commits himself to prioritizing the gospel. And here he states the gospel using the shorthand, Christ crucified. He could have emphasized a different aspect of the gospel, but he emphasizes that one. We all get the idea, but he's resolved. He's committed no matter what. He's got a grip on it. That is his commitment. And he's certainly modeling that for the church at Corinth. Because as we continue to read there hearing that wooing to be relevant in other ways. They're feeling the temptation because they know that's not necessarily what's going to make their church accepted, relevant, profound, cool, hip. And he's saying, look, learn from my example. I, I know all about that. Let me remind you how I do ministry and, and I'm, let me remind you how right it is. We would be fooling ourselves to think somehow, oh, and, and everybody was just, they were just waiting for that. Oh, yeah, man, I'm so glad Paul came telling us we're sinners. I'm so, oh, so philosophically sophisticated for him to tell us that the Savior is crucified. Would have been moronic and idiotic. Savior crucified? And Paul's saying, that's right, Savior crucified. That is super encouraging to me amidst the temptations I face. I want it to be encouraging to you amidst the temptations you face as you want to give people what they want or what they think they want and you end up not giving them what you're supposed to give them. And Omaha Bible Church, before you know it, is about something other than the Lord Jesus Christ through His apostles called it to be. Let's go ahead and, and acclimate ourselves a little bit more to this passage. Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 18, and we can f feel the, the, the tension a little bit more and appreciate it a little bit better. It says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. It is foolish to, foolish to those who are perishing. I listened to a sermon yesterday by, by David Wells called The Stupidity of Preaching. That's where he gets the idea. That's the, the foolishness of preaching. And, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I know what you know. You know what I know. Crucified Savior, proclamation. It's not what people are looking for. It doesn't rate, rate high on the relevance meter. It's not going to get you invited to dinner parties at the White House. This isn't going to do it. But I know that. 
I mean, it's not Paul, Paul. Part of his argument is making it clear to the Corinthians that he totally knows the culture. So he knows what they're facing, feeling the pressure because he himself faced it when he went there. And he's saying, I totally get it. Let's keep going. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It's not how God works. He's not looking to score big points on the relevance meter. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or the stupidity or the foolishness of what we preach, which is the gospel in this context, right? To save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ. We herald Christ. We proclaim with authority Christ crucified Knowing full well, notice what it says in 23, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, oh, target audience. But to those who are called, that would be called by the Spirit internally. Theologians say effectually called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And I know you know how this works, but just to state the obvious in case you don't, What is Paul going to do? He's making up his mind ahead of time to come to town to preach the gospel, the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing full well that people are going to write him off like he's some sort of nutcase. But knowing full well that other people are going to say, that's good news. (laughs) The called are going to do that. The people God is supernaturally, internally, by His Spirit calling, are going to hear the same stupid message, which actually isn't stupid, and they're going to believe it, and they're going to be saved. This is so strategic in helping us and equipping us and keeping us on task. It's true, it might make us irrelevant in the short run, but it makes us relevant to God. Ultimately, that's most important. And I would submit to you that in the long run, it will actually make us relevant because we will actually have something different to say. Because quite honestly, the church, when the church tries to do all these other things that other people do, typically we don't do, do them as well as other people do them. And we're just like everybody else. And so we have nothing to say. The way to secure relevance for us is to have a unique message. And we give the unique message of the cross of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and that is foolishness to some, saving power to others. It's fantastically simple, profoundly simple. Then he says in verse 26, For consider your calling brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You just put your finger there for a second. We'll keep going. What he's saying is just think about how you were converted. Think how you became a Christian. Somebody told you about your sin. Somebody told you about God and his righteous judgment. Somebody told you about Jesus and his substitutionary work. And they called you to believe that. In one way or another, that's what, what happened. So don't be tempted to go off course thinking it's going to make your ministry more effective. It's not how it worked for you. It's not how it's going to work for somebody else. 
then he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring nothing to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That is super helpful and super, super radical. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. How about that? I mean, the, the whole way, any beca- the only way anybody ever becomes a Christian is because of him anyway. So if we know that to be true, if we know the only way any of us in this room who are Christians became Christians is because of him, then why, we, why wouldn't we want to proclaim his message? If we know he's the one that has to do it, then we're going to follow his script and give his message because God does it anyway. And then he says, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, all of those great things that we need in order to be reconciled to God so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Then he says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. we can get that worked in our in our fiber in our dna in our thinking in our mindset it will really be helpful because we're going to be tempted to not do that feeling pressure over here to to be this kind of church feeling pressure over here to be this kind of church feeling pressure over here to be this kind of church and don't you want to be a mover and a shaker don't you want to have a place at the table don't you want to be influential don't you and i have to be reminded Don't you dare move away from the simple, profound reality that you know full well is going to cause people to say, you're an idiot. Because it's the same, very, very same message that's going to cause others to say, you've got beautiful feet. (laughs) Using the imagery from later in Romans. That is, you're a messenger that brings good news. Thank you. I know the temptation. Yesterday, I was at a barber shop. Imagine that. Yeah, they did, they did damage. Don't go there. <laughs> like, what did they do to my head? Anyway, I was getting my hair. Before I was going to get my hair cut, I'm sitting off in the waiting area, and I can hear, it's like old school barber shop. So you hear lots of things. <laughs> and I can hear the guy getting his hair cut, and the guy cutting his hair, and they're watching the news. CNN is on, and they're talking about this, and then something about the new pope comes up, and, and so then religion comes up, and the guy sitting in the chair was saying the most amazing things. He was quite a theologian. Um, and he was saying, oh, well, when Peter, we stand at the gates, and Peter's there, and here's what's going to happen. And uh, his, his philosophy of life was like, like, one bumper sticker after another bumper sticker after another bumper sticker. I mean, he had a theology. It's just so interesting. Was, I want to go hang out in barbershops, which probably wouldn't be very good for my spiritual growth. But anyway, just because it, his worldview was coming out, and his worldview was basically bumper sticker worldview. He was a total philosopher, total theologian, because all of us are. It was so amazing to me. And I sat there and thought, what if I got to talk to that guy? What would I say? 
pretty far away. It's not like I can, I guess I could have. Some of you might. I, I couldn't just like walk over there and go, hey, pal. Um, I kind of wish I had that kind of demeanor, but I thought, what if I could talk to him right now? What if I was cutting his hair? What would I say? You know, and mental, and I like thinking that through because I actually want to engage people and I want to take what they say and try to lead that into a gospel kind of conversation. I hope you want to be that kind of person. The trouble was, no matter how I turned in my mind and, I, and no matter where it went, it ended up being, he's going to think I'm an idiot. Because no matter how I turned it in my head, I was going to end up talking to him about the one true God and how he's revealed himself and what his standards are and what he requires and what his son did and how that means trouble for him if he doesn't trust in his son. No matter how I tried to be relevant, nice, and all that kind of stuff. And of course, later on, I had all the right answers um, <laughs> after the opportunity was gone. Um, that's why I need a message like this. Because I've got to realize, and you've got to realize, and we've got to realize again and again and again and again that if you get the gospel right, apart from the internal sovereign working of the Spirit of God, it's not going to settle well with people. And so my temptation is to be relevant to him as a pastor who does something other than what pastors are called to do, which is the proclamation of the gospel. And while we might not share barbers, praise the Lord, um, I know we, we, we share the temptation. And I know we share the struggle. So it's so helpful to remember, this is what our mission is. This is what we're called to do. This is the most way to be long-run relevant because you have the words of eternal life. Let's jump now to the, to the end of the book, and then we'll move to Romans, just to, to see what happens. As you're going to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, what's so interesting is throughout the book, what Paul does is he doesn't um, then forget the gospel and give them uh, divorced biblical principles for living. What he does is he gives them the gospel up front and then the church that's in a shambles, he ends up taking the gospel and, and, and applying it in different ways, shapes and forms, showing them how it really ends up being a gospel issue. And that if you understood the gospel here from this aspect and for this dimension and, these, uh, uh, and this nuanced aspect of the gospel, then you can get over this problem. And then the gospel over here, and it deals with this problem. And the gospel over here, and it deals with this problem. And so what ends up happening is, gospel for salvation, yes, don't compromise your message, Corinthian church. Gospel for your spiritual growth too, Corinthian church. You need, you need it for both. And at the end, he ends the way he starts, really, in chapter 15, verse 1, where he writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. 
I preached to you, which you received. Well, he's been reminding him of it throughout the whole thing and from the very beginning. But he's reminding again in which you stand. You stand because of the gospel. You stand before God in his courtroom because of the gospel and by which you are being saved. It seems to be a spiritual growth kind of thing there using salvation in that sense. Uh, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, which is another way of saying the gospel, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance when I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, buried, raised third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he goes on to unpack things. Just my way of reminding you, he starts this way, he ends this way, everything in the middle is this way, you stand in the gospel, you are spiritually growing in the gospel, guess what our ministry is? Gospel, 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 gospel. Good news regarding the perfect finished work of Christ. We're going to say more about that. At least I'm going to. Let's move to Romans now. And as we go to Romans, just over one book, we see the same thing essentially. But I want you to be able to see it and maybe even more clearly. And let's divide it this way. Let's look at the gospel for salvation in Romans. Let's look at the gospel for growth in Romans. And let's look at the gospel for worship in Romans. And then we're going to be done. Salvation, growth, and worship. So chapter 1, verse 15, he emphasizes gospel for salvation, which is how we normally think of it. Look at verse 15 where he says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then he gives the classic verse that so many of you know so well, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's super helpful in light of being tempted to be ashamed and compromise and be about something else. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let's, do re let's not assume anything here. Let's do real basic. Um, it's the power of God unto salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from your sin, yes. Your rebellion. Salvation from yourself, yeah, I need to be saved from myself. I make a mess of me. I need salvation from myself, but ultimately salvation from, it's from God. I mean, you keep reading Romans, he's, uh, Romans chapter 1 and beyond, the whole deal, the biggest deal is you and, and, and I, uh, the both of us, all of us, we're all under the just condemnation of God because we don't treat God like he's God. And so what we need is we need to be saved from God. We need to be rescued from God. And he says the power of God. So the God we need to be saved from provides the power. How is it? It's through the gospel and it is for everyone who believes. And in light of the rest of Romans 2, and he's assuming we're going to keep reading, we're not going to. In light of the rest of, in light of, the rest of Romans, it's everyone who believes what? It's everyone who believes the gospel, everyone who believes upon Christ, whoever trusts in Christ. And now we all we can see the bigger picture. We need to be saved from God, but God, according to his grace, sends his son to become one of us to uphold his perfect standards. And what does the son do? The son becomes one of us, and he loves his father with heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loves his neighbor as himself, because that's the law we're all under. And then Jesus turns, so he perfectly does everything right. Then he turns, and he goes to the cross to be judged as if he did everything wrong. 
to be judged as if he never fully loved his father with heart, soul, mind, and strength ever, because that would be me, and that he never loved his neighbor truly, because that would be me. And so the father then pours his wrath out on his son who willingly went there. And then the father raises the son from the dead, showing, proving, among other things, that that he's satisfied with his atonement and his law-keeping. I get excited about that every time. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's the greatest mission we could have. All other missions are lesser missions. It doesn't even make sense that we would go somewhere else because that's the one that lasts forever. That's the one that's eternally relevant. I love the book of Revelation calls the gospel the eternal gospel. Now let's talk relevance. We don't need to do the fad thing. We don't need to do the trend thing. What we need to do is stick to the script because it's the eternal gospel. I love it. Preach that sermon to myself all day long. Thank you for coming and watching. You know, it's like, I need to hear that. It's what's going to ultimately matter. We got to stick to the, to the script. The power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. He's going to show that everyone is under sin and so everyone needs this gospel. Now, if you would, to keep things moving, go to chapter 10 with me. Another passage about the gospel and its um, relevance to salvation, salvation from God, because each of us needs to be saved from God, rescued from God, His just judgment. And Romans 10 is going to talk about how we need to preach that. Let me, as you're going there, if you're still going there, uh, I've been saying preaching a lot, and he's going to say preaching here. Just to clarify, it doesn't necessarily mean in a church building. It doesn't necessarily mean um, from a pulpit. It doesn't necessarily mean raising your voice. This could be in your cubicle. Don't raise your voice. (laughs) This is in your family. This is in your car. This is in the bus, on the bus. This is in your aisle on the plane. This is in another country through missionaries. Preaching is proclamation. Preaching has to do with having a message that you you proclaim because you're telling the truth about it. You're not even giving your opinion. You're a newscaster and you're proclaiming, or let's ratchet it up even more, if you're commissioned by someone else like we actually are, Jesus, who's been given all authority, Matthew 28, 18, and then he says, go and make disciples. And we start connecting the dots. It's, a, it's an authoritative proclamation. So you're actually bold about it, yes. You're not sharing opinions. It's not coming from within you. It's a message that's about someone else. You're proclaiming it. And so, just to clarify, we're not just talking about formal kind of church ministry, but we are talking about church ministry. With that in mind, Romans 10, 14. How then will they, he's talking about unbelievers, call on him in whom they have not believed? The answer is that it's impossible. It can't be done. And how are they to believe in him, him who they've, whom they've never heard? Answer, that's impossible. How can you trust in someone you've never even heard about? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming, without someone heralding, without someone 
preaching? And again, the answer is, that's impossible. So back to our mission is a mission of proclamation. We've got to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. Because apart from proclaiming, people have no data, they have no information, they have no truth, they have no object of faith to believe in, and if they don't believe in Him, there is no salvation. So we have a preaching ministry, not just pulpit, but we have a proclamation ministry because that's what we do. Heartbeat, DNA, focus, mission, purpose. That's what we do. I really like uh, this passage because it's a good corrective, too, to a trend that we're all living in. And that is that we need to live the gospel. Well, that came on a memo straight from hell. Because it can't be done. Should I insult myself or you at this point? Let's do both. I've never lived the gospel a day in my life. Now let me insult you. You've never lived the gospel a day in your life. Read Romans 3. You're a sinner. That's not good news. <laughs> it's not good news at all. Now, please don't misunderstand. The Bible for sure calls us to live a certain way. And as Christians, we want to seek to do that to the point where Paul even tells Timothy that your progress should be evident. There's growth happening here in life and ministry. Let's, let, let's not say this is licensed to live like the devil. Not, we're not try, I'm not trying to go there, but sometimes we need to be shocked out of wrong thinking. And I'm saying, you know what? We don't live the gospel. It can't be done. Oh, correct that. We could say that Jesus lived the gospel because he's the good one. He's the only one of whom the Father said, with him I'm well pleased. He did good always and he always will do good. But the reality is Pat Abendroth lives an anti-gospel. I, I don't live the gospel because I sin. And, and that's not helpful. And by the way, if I just say, you know, just do what I do. That's not helpful either. Unless you're just watching the external self-righteous part that I'm tricking you with. And that's not good. Never lived a perfect day in my life. Oh, and by the way, Paul says elsewhere, we, because we're committed to the gospel and we're on mission here with the gospel, we don't preach ourselves. See, that's a bad idea. That's not good. The gospel can't be lived by you or by me. Even though I do want to be honest and I do want to do the right thing, but I'm going to fall short. I don't want to be a total hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite at all, but the reality is there's a gap between what I believe and where I am right now and, and, and who I'm going to be one day in Christ, and that gap's not going to go away till I go to heaven, so I've got to deal with it. So instead of pointing people to me, what am I going to do? I'm going to point people to Christ. And the only way I can point people to Christ is by proclaiming a message about Him. Super crucial, super important. Moms and dads, make sure you're doing this with your kids. Kids, make sure you're doing it with your moms and dads. We fail. We compromise. We are inconsistent. We are not good gospelers. 
ourselves. That's why we too need a Savior. That's why we need Christ Jesus, the perfect law keeper. That's why we need Jesus, a perfect atonement. That's why we need Jesus, the perfect one who has been raised from the dead. You see? It's awesome to begin thinking about this. Now it makes me nervous because I don't want to preach. I don't want to open up my mouth and tell my neighbor that his weird views about God are weird views about God. And even if I don't tell him outright that you're totally confused, by telling him the gospel in a way that he will understand, I'm telling him he's totally confused. And that he's wrong. I preach the gospel, I'm going to do that. And so I really like preach the gospel with your life. But the problem is it's impossible. I've got to open up my mouth. I've got to be like Paul. You've got to be like Paul in Romans 1 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. We've got to, we've got to remember this. We've got to own this. And by the way, this is just pragmatic, which is what we don't typically want to be. So many times it's refreshing when you're talking to an unbeliever and you're going to tell them about Christianity and you're not starting with, I do this and I do that and I don't do that. Because it comes across as you preaching your morality and you're preaching yourself. How about in God's court of law, I'm a convicted felon. Even for the things I've done today. In God's court of law, I'm a convicted felon. Because I haven't loved him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's reasonable. And I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. And so let me tell you about where my hope is. See, there's a huge difference. Some people are still going to write you off as a crackpot. But it oftentimes settles a lot better than preaching self-righteousness, condemnation because you've arrived, because you haven't, neither have I. Paul still calls himself chief of sinners, even though he knows full well that in God's eyes he's fully acceptable in Christ. Fully acceptable. Why? Because of Christ. Where was I? I could just look down and just keep talking about the gospel and I know I'm okay, but um, let's move on. Gospel for spiritual growth, Romans 1. Back to Romans 1, then Romans 16, then we'll be done. Gospel for spiritual growth. Gospel for salvation, that's our, that's our thing. That's our, that's our ministry. That's our mission. That's what we do. That's what we're about. We're not about other things. How about this? Maybe there's a different sermon. There's a place for you to do other things. There's a place for you to pursue other good causes. But the church's mission is this one unique cause. Another sermon, another day. Love to talk about that at a different time. Spiritual growth, gospel spiritual growth. Romans 1, 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, Christians and non-Christians, what do you think at this point? Well, sinners are loved by God too, so we're not totally sure yet. And called, uh-oh, this is for sure talking about Christians, to be saints, 
Saints are holy ones based upon the work of Christ. So he's writing to Christians clearly, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Romans 1.7, he's writing to Christians. Then Romans 1.15 says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you, that you are the saints of chapter 1, verse 7, also who are in Rome. How about that? He doesn't, he doesn't say gospel for unbelievers and then we move on to disconnected, divorced, disjunctured uh, biblical principles. No. Yes, there are biblical principles, yes. But actually, they're inseparable, intertwined with, based upon, flowing out of, derived from gospel. How can the Roman Christians grow spiritually? Forget the gospel, because that's before, and now I'm going to tell you other things. No. Let me help you understand the gospel in a way maybe you're not understanding it. Let, let, let's take you to the gospel deep end of the pool. Let, let, let's keep that thing going and get you even uh, more uh, deeply in your understanding. As Colossians 1 says in the prayer, increasing in the knowledge of God, which is a, a prayer for spiritual growth. He's going to give them the gospel for growth. One time on a Saturday night, I got a phone call from a pastor friend of mine. We'll call him Mike because that's his name. Okay? That always drives me crazy. We'll call him Bill to protect the guilty. Um, anyway, they always did that in counseling classes in seminary. And I just thought, why don't you just tell us who they were or don't? Anyway, <laughs> we'll call him Mike because that's his name. Not Mike, my brother, but a different Mike. And Saturday night, you know, just do yourself a favor. Don't call the preacher on Saturday night because he's already in a panic trying to get his family ready or trying to do whatever. And so um, I don't want to answer the phone on a Saturday night, but it's a preacher friend of mine. And so I'm thinking, you know, I got to, it's the brotherhood. I answer the phone. Hey, what's going on? I'm thinking it's an emergency. Well, it is an emergency. He said, I know you preached Romans not too long ago and I'm preaching Romans 1 verse 15 tomorrow. And uh, how did you preach that? the gospel to Christians. Now, I just threw my friend Mike under the bus and let me jump under the bus with him because I went through the same kind of paralysis before because you go, what? I just don't want you guys to have to go through that paralysis. But I lived that life, done that, been there. Gospel, check the box, move on to other things. It becomes revolutionary, profound, significant, vital to get this simple reality. I said, well, he's going to preach the gospel because that's what they need for their spiritual growth. And you don't just move on. He goes, oh, well, that, you know, that's what I thought, but I just want to make sure. And Yeah, right. <laughs> just kidding. He probably did that. The reality is if you get this, you're not going to try to perfect something in the flesh that never started in the flesh. It was the work of the Spirit applying the gospel to your heart, bringing you into God's kingdom. And now to grow, you're going to stay there. And it's going to be the work of the Spirit through the gospel and applying the gospel in different ways. Lest you think I'm reading too much into this, which you might, and maybe I give you kudos for thinking I'm reading too much into this so far. If you go to chapter 16, it's a slam dunk. In chapter 16, you see what... Any doubt that might have been there ends up being removed because in chapter 16, he reiterates 
and he makes it as clear as possible. He's talking about spiritual growth tied to the gospel, which brings us back to what do we want to do as a church? What do we want to be as a church? We want to be like the Apostle Paul, and we want to do gospel for unbelievers, gospel for believers. Luke chapter 6 is going to be gospel. Luke chapter 24 is going to be gospel. Luke 19 is going to be gospel. Uh, Somehow everything's going to be gospel. Look what it says in chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, another way of saying grow you up spiritually, mature you spiritually. He's talking to Christians. We already saw that. And he says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I think he's saying the same things there. My gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ. How do you get strong spiritually? How do you go from being weak spiritually to being strong spiritually? Whether you're talking about this aspect of life or some other aspect of life, it's according to the gospel. You need the gospel is what you need for for sanctification, not just for justification. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. It's the key to our spiritual growth. It ends up being the key to our worship too. He talks about that in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Really the key to our worship ends up being understanding the gospel better. And we've run out of time and we really don't have time to talk about that. But Romans 12 one and two. Saved by the gospel, sanctified by the gospel, worshiping in light of the gospel. It's what we're called to be and do. Omaha Bible Church will struggle with this one. We're just going to. If history repeats itself, we're going to struggle with it. It's just good to know that. And good to say, let's be refreshed, let's be renewed, let's commit ourselves again and again and again to not move beyond that. But the reality is, if history history repeats itself, and it does, Omaha Bible Church, if the Lord doesn't come back sooner than later, will not be a gospel-preaching church. It's just how it is. I hope and pray that it's not while you're here. That's a good prayer. I hope and pray that it's not while I'm here. But let's face it, in one way or another, you can teach anything with the Bible. I don't think in context. This is a real life danger for us. We can lose our first love is a love for Christ and His work. So let's come back here again and again and again. And when you see good needs and good causes, pray about whether or not God wants to use you. You're a citizen. You've been made in the image of God. You're called to love your neighbor as yourself. Pray about what you do. You can't do it all. You just can't. Nor can you do all of those things and be a good, faithful church member. But the church's calling and mission is gospel-centric. It's gospel-shaped. And we've got to work really hard by God's grace 
to not take our hand off of that plow. Just got to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And maybe another day we'll talk about the real opportunities we have outside of the church to be involved in other things that are good things. Maybe even so it can help the church not have to do those things that distract us from our calling. Another day. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for grace. And thank you for the mercy that is given to us in light of, because of, anticipation of the great work of Christ. We're glad for him. We're glad in him. We are glad that we don't preach ourselves, that we preach him. And please use the gospel even right now and bring it to bear on our hearts, certainly for unbelievers who are here, that they would see Christ as, as the good one and the good news about his work and they would trust in him. But for those who are believers as well, just remind us now of how refreshing it is to know that our standing before you is not based upon our failures and it's not based upon our accomplishments. Remind us that our hope is in the perfect work of another. A loving Savior who always leads us in victory. Help us to leave here with a, with a sanctified spring in our step. That we've been pardoned. We've been reconciled. That we can have joy that is unspeakable that actually causes us to speak to others about it. Please do this. Do this for our good and do this for your own fame. In Jesus' name, amen.